0: in me, but that is one of my favorite parts of the service. <sighs> okay. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. And that's from Acts 5.20. Uh, we're going to be finishing up the fifth chapter of Acts today, I hope. Um, I don't want to eat too much into your afternoon, so I will try to keep it concise and stick to the point, the points really, but uh, we're picking up at verse 17 and going through to the end, and there's a lot going on, so if it seems like I missed something, of course I want to talk to you about it, but it's it's possible that I was just focusing on another part of this, but please... I I want to talk about it. Don't worry. All right. Verse 17. Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodias Mm -hmm, appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He, too, was killed, and all his people were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if, it, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, I know that was a lot of scripture because there was a lot going on. If we go back to where I started reading, you have the apostles put in jail An angel appears and lets them go. That has never happened to me. I'm just going to say this is a miraculous thing that happens. What I absolutely love is how obedient they are to being let go. It's like, yeah, you were put in jail. Now I want you to go to the temple courts and start proclaiming Jesus as Messiah again, which they do. You see a lot of growth in the apostles from the time that Jesus is arrested until the time that they're arrested, I'm not sure if you've noticed that, and I actually heard a great uh, a great reasoning for this is that this is after Pentecost. They've experienced this uh, radical indwelling of the Holy Spirit and they find themselves with with uh, a renewed strength anyhow so. What I find really interesting though is that they arrest or they bring them back in to be pretty much arrested again. It's like yeah, they just kind of walked out of here, but we're going to bring them back. But they don't arrest them forcefully because they're afraid of the people because the people are seeing all of this. And I've noticed that that trend never went away either is When people are willing to stand for truth, there's fear from opposition, typically. Now, before you mishear me or plug me into your political agenda, I am not advocating revolution. I'm just saying if we stand for the truth as the church, opposition has to tread a little carefully or else they look as ridiculous as they contend to be. Also worth mentioning, if you didn't know, the Sanhedrin is enormous. It's 72 fellows. I say fellows because they're all guys. 72 guys of the party of both the Sadducee and the Pharisee. Who knows the difference between a Sadducee and a Pharisee? Show of hands. I know you do. I know you do. Sadducee and Pharisee, who knows? Who wants to know? I'm going to tell you anyway. All right. Um, Sadducees only believe in the first five books of the Bible. They only follow the Torah. They do not believe in a coming Messiah. So they're sad, you see. Get it? Okay. So they're sad, you see. Now, the Pharisees, also incredibly legalistic, but they believe in all of... All of the Old Testament, they believe in the prophets, they read the Psalms, they believe in the Torah, they believe in a coming Messiah. So they see far, you see, Pharisee, get it? That's a little new, mnemonic device for you, sorry. But Pharisees and Sadducees, and they make up this group of ruling body for the Jewish people. The high priest is a Sadducee, but everybody, well, not everybody else, but a lot of the other people are Pharisees. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection, that people will get to experience this wonderful afterlife with God. Now, their idea of heaven may have been slightly different than us on this side of the cross. However, they believe in this personal God who cares very much for them in a way that the Sadducees don't necessarily But anyway, just a little nerdyology. It becomes way more important when Paul talks to the group. But it'll come back up. There's a reason why Paul is able to get the whole room to start fighting and take attention off of him. Because he knows they are just vastly opposed to one another on certain issues. That would be weird, wouldn't it? To be in a climate where people are just polarized. How weird would that be? Sure good we outgrew that in the last 2,000 years. The more I read the Bible, the more it just keeps being reinforced to me that people are people and they've always been people. We didn't get any smarter. We didn't get more advanced. Some brilliant people built on other people's inventions and we know how to turn them on. We are not more intelligent than these people. And I think one of the most profound questions I've ever heard was from a comedian. If I dropped you in the middle of the woods naked, when can I expect an email? (laughs) I don't know how any of this stuff works. And neither do you, with exceptions. Some of you actually do. But for the most of us, we don't know. We don't know. We are not more advanced. We are not more anything than the people you're reading about in the Bible. We have a different culture. We've had some years past where advancements were improved upon. And thank goodness, I I love it. I love technology. Anyhow. I also absolutely love that in verses 33 through 39, a man stands up to tell them, if this is from God, you will not be able to stop it. If this is not of God, it's going to fail anyway. Just get out of their way. Now, as will become apparently clear as you go further through Scripture, the man speaking is Gamaliel, who is the rabbi of Saul, Paul, the guy who later intensely persecutes the Christian church, which tells me, He probably was at odds with his rabbi right around this time. But it's interesting to see that, that even with such an amazing rabbi being his rabbi, and historically, if you look at writings that are extra biblical that come from Jewish tradition, Gamaliel's a big deal. He's a big deal. Sometimes they pronounce it Gamaliel, but it's the same dude. He's a big deal. He's one of the most prestigious rabbis in history, in rabbinic history. But that's the interesting thing about history. If I didn't tell you that, most of you wouldn't have known it. What he did matters. He himself, we all came from dust. Not to sound bleak, but The fact that he was an outstanding rabbi, that legacy is far less important than what he had to say in this instance. His real legacy is found in Christianity. Anyhow, okay, so his speech persuaded them because oddly enough, he was of godly character. His speech, his level-headedness was able to persuade people. And they let them go, but they order them not to speak about Jesus. And here's the funny thing. The part that we would get really upset about is they has them flogged. Any of you ever been flogged? I wouldn't imagine like, well, some of you may have been, but being flogged doesn't sound like a good time necessarily. Like I was spanked some when I was a kid. I earned every single bit of it, every bit of it. And probably they deserve to give me far more than I ever got because I was sneaky. (laughs) Just the truth. I was sneaky. I was the youngest. That may be a youngest trait. No offense to you, youngest. But uh, you kind of have a lot of case studies before you of what you can and cannot do and what is best not to say. So you get away with a lot more. It's easier to manipulate when you see people do it the wrong way over and over again. I'm not teaching you how to lie. I'm just saying, I think, anyway, not important. Boy, that was a bunny. Anyhow, he hasn't flogged. So they're actually beaten and then let go. They don't just get to walk out scot-free like, okay, guys, go ahead. They, They beat them. They are angry. They are punishing them, but they get let go. And this is the part we need to read more often. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What name? Well, the name of Jesus. They were considered worthy of suffering for the sake of the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the part we should really look at as a model for living. Are people always going to be happy that you're spouting your super positive churchy stuff? Because sometimes it's actually not positive. But are people going to be happy to hear the gospel from you? Sometimes they genuinely are. Sometimes they want the hope. Sometimes they just want to know what you think. It's not all. Christianity is an all persecution. And honestly, just because someone doesn't want to hear what you're saying, that doesn't mean you're being persecuted. They could just be disagreeing with you. So something that we have the opportunity to model in an oversensitive world is if someone doesn't agree with you, Have some grace about the situation. It's not about you. If someone rejects Jesus, the last thing on your mind should be how bad your feelings hurt. Unless your heart is breaking for a lost person. If you're worried because they said a no-no potty word to you, you missed the point. You missed the point. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus loves these broken people. When we're telling other people, it's about Jesus first. Others second and yourself last. Back to that little acronym. Sunday school teaches you so much. It's all about joy. Jesus first. So when you're telling someone about Jesus, it's for his sake. God cared so much that he was willing to die to redeem these people. We can deal with a little discomfort. It's about the person you're talking to. It's a lot easier if you just talk about the weather. Thankfully, we live in Pennsylvania. See, you have no idea what that's going to be. So that's already taken off the table for you. Then you can think about yourself. Was that uncomfortable? Well, it probably was. It is uncomfortable to talk to people. About anything of substance. If you're talking about your faith, you will notice that sometimes it is an incredible blessing for yourself. It isn't all selfless. You can pretend it is. It's not all selfless. The blessings you get from obedience are a blessing to you. That shouldn't be your primary driving force, but I think I I should be honest about this. There's an immense blessing in following the directions God gives you. That shouldn't be our primary motivating force. I know I just said that, but there is a huge blessing in obedience. It just doesn't always look like what you think it does. How many of us, if we were arrested today for proclaiming the name of Jesus and they decided the charges weren't going to stick, so they just let us go with leave rejoicing? Or how many of us would be trying to figure out which lawyer to call? Because I don't know if attorney Edgar Snyder takes those cases, but he's about the only number I have memorized from childhood. Call 454-128. 454 No fee unless he gets money for you. Um. Again, not important, but I'm not sure our response would necessarily to be rejoicing. That we were seen worthy of being persecuted as Christ was persecuted. There are parts of the world, and when you read books like The Insanity of God or The Insanity of Obedience, which is the second one, You get these uh, reports of people who do just that. They exercise their faith in an environment of heavy persecution, genuine persecution, where their livelihood and their families and their own health is at risk. And what you see is that oftentimes they go to die rejoicing and praising God. Which sets up another trend that you see in books like that where the persecutor often becomes the person who's most fired up to do evangelism. Because it's really hard to deny the faith of someone you are persecuting when you're the tyrant. I think it's actually hard to endure sometimes for them to see the fact that they are destroying genuine faith or trying to destroy genuine faith. I love it. Anyway, I was talking to my friend yesterday about that. He does sound at his church, and sometimes he does some worship leading and stuff. He's like, if there's a baby there, though, and they're making noise, he's just like, I get distracted for several minutes. I'm just like, oh, look at the baby. It's a good thing. It's a great thing to have little people in church with us, wiggly, noisy little people. It's important, something that should be celebrated. It's something that we should encourage. It's exciting because I'm temporary and you're temporary. And sadly, they're temporary too, but they just started, they got a little longer to go. Little Christians are a very important thing to foster. <laughs> Does it get better than that, seriously? All right. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> they also immediately go back to what they were doing. Every day they're out there in public in the same place where they've already gotten in trouble twice. They're going out and they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. Now, here's another thing that you could look at it this way, too, because this is in here. Just throwing this out for thought. I'm not telling you how to feel about this. In one aspect, we need to recognize that they all go peacefully. And in many ways, they do exactly submit to the authority, except... They did tell them to stop talking about Jesus, which they would not do. Right? They would not stop speaking about Jesus. Here's an interesting thing. And again, just food for thought. Get your wheels spinning. Did they continue to speak about Jesus? because they were physically stronger? Did they continue to speak about Jesus because because of their rights to free speech, which they didn't have? Did they continue to speak about Jesus because it was comfortable and popular? Did they continue to speak about Jesus because they had the Second Amendment or the First Amendment or the Fourth Amendment or the Fifth Amendment for that matter? No. No. They continued to speak about Jesus because Jesus is more important than your personal comfort. Did they expect to get in trouble? You betcha. They expected to be arrested again. They expected to be beaten again. They expected a hard life. Did they keep doing it anyway? Well, yeah, because they knew Jesus. A disciple should always be trying to be like their rabbi. That's the culture. We can adopt this into our culture where the disciple is always trying to be the rabbi. They are trying to be exactly like it. If he limps, you limp. If he says something, you say something, right? They are trying to be their rabbi. If their rabbi willingly goes to die for the sake of God's kingdom, then that is what the disciple should be willing to do. If Jesus walks on water, you try to walk on water. Do you think you can? No, but you didn't think he could either, so you get out of the boat. We have this example of Jesus going like a lamb to the slaughter. If he is our rabbi and we are his disciples, what is our expectation? New Cadillac, good car, a job, 2.5 kids, 401k, dental plan. What is our expectation and how do we get there? I believe the expectation is, is that we get to be in communion with the God of creation. Right? That is our expectation, if I'm not mistaken. Along with that expectation, which is absolutely true, The free gift of salvation is absolutely free. It'll only cost you everything. You are required to die to yourself. Thankfully, in our context, that is very much a philosophical idea. But were you required to die for Jesus, would you really be willing to? Because to be honest, some people aren't willing to get out of bed before 11 for Jesus. Does that mean they're not saved? That's not what I'm saying at all. If I'm willing to die for Jesus, why am I not willing to live for Jesus? If you're not willing to live for Jesus, I don't believe you're willing to die for him either. It works that way very much in all relationships. You can tell somebody, I would die for you. Really, you don't call me back proof is in the pudding there. I don't care what someone's willing to kill for, that's all pride and vanity. I wanna know what you're willing to die for. Killing isn't as hard as people think. I don't care what you're willing to kill for, I don't care what you're willing to scream for, I don't care what you're willing to vote for, I don't care what you're willing to petition for, I don't care what you're willing to protest. What are you willing to live for? What are you willing to die for? That's what I care about. It may include all those little things, but that's exactly all they are. Little convenient ways of doing things. All right. So I was asked a very theological question this morning, which was, is your sermon going to be really long? To which I honestly said, I don't know. We'll see. It's not. Um, If you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for the faith of the apostles. I thank you for your very words we find in Scripture. Lord, I thank you for this group of believers. I thank you for the genuine faith that I do see in these people living for you. Father, I pray that you would continue to strengthen us to that end, that we would be willing to live for you, that we would be mindful of living for you, not just when it's convenient, but each and every day. Lord, again, I thank you and I praise you. Father, I pray that you would bless the meal that's after church in case I forget to do that later. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know myself well enough that if I think about it, that's when it needs to happen. <laughs> anyway, um, that actually brings us to our time of announcements, prayer, and sharing, led by Chad Keeler, which is always convenient because if I don't know who it is, I'm going to say it's Chad anyway. Um, that's a joke. Anyway, so I do have an announcement that someone asked me to announce. They will be doing corn at church for church dinners, which I know we enjoy, but they're going to be doing corn, I believe right here, on Thursday the 24th. We are hoping for a good turnout and lunch will be provided in case you needed encouragement. Lunch will be provided come play with corn. And uh, actually, that's a message from Connie. Please be here by 9 a.m. so we can knock the work out and go home. Right. Anyway, that'll be at 9 a.m. on the 24th, which is Thursday, doing corn.